New Bassmaster Elite Series qualifiers, 10-pound smallmouth bass, the Redfish Cup, and a whole bunch of other stuff is covered this week with friend of the show, Bassmaster behind-the-scenes videographer, host of Jake's Take, Jake Latondres, this week on... I'm Bob Cobb for the Bassmaster. Welcome to Mercer. Welcome one, welcome all friends, family, freeloaders, fishing freaks. Welcome to the Awkwardly Honest Fishing Podcast that goes by my last name, which is Mercer. And um, literally just got home from Port Aransas, Texas, and um, was there for the Yamaha Redfish Cup World Championship. Yamaha Bassmaster Redfish Cup World Championship. How could I get that wrong? I've said it 7,000 times the last few days. Um, an amazing event and a lot of fun. And um, before we bring in our guest here this week, um, I just got a text from my buddy Guck. And uh, Guck, Alan McGuckin from Dynamic Sports, is a big uh, supporter of Bass at a lot of events and um, covering his company. He runs a lot of this stuff that uh, the activations, Toyota, Yamaha, PowerPay, all those sort of things, they're all run through Guck's, Guck's company. So anyways, he's um, got a big heart, but um, he introduced me to somebody earlier this year at a Bassmaster event, um, Brady Winans. I believe that's how it's properly pronounced. Um, a really amazing dude. Uh, obsessed with the sport of fishing. Dreams to be the classic, you know, just like everybody, just like all of us. Well, Brady went fishing 11 months ago and had a horrific accident. Um, I don't need to get into the details of the injuries because I'm not educated enough to explain them properly. But basically, it was a foggy morning and they were running and they hit the dam at the end of the lake. And he was catapulted out of the boat. So many doctors have told him he should not have survived it, but because of such amazing things happening, he did survive that. And um, we were lucky enough to have him on Bass Live to tell his story as kind of a, a warning because it can happen to anyone. I mean, there's a reason they're called accidents. And Guck sent me a text this morning, and the lake that this happened on, I believe, was Lake Tawakini. It happened 11 months ago. Well, just to make you feel good about life and good about how even bad things, there's a silver lining and some goodness around them. This past weekend, 11 months after being almost killed, still in a chair on the back deck of his buddy's bass boat, Brady Wynum won a two-day tournament with his buddy. The first tournament he's fished since the accident, but from the back deck of his buddy's boat... In his wheelchair, they went in 32 pounds and won this past weekend. And if nothing more from this podcast gives you anything, that right there should make you feel just good about overcoming. Everybody's got something they have to overcome and, and don't take things for granted because as um, Brady is happily living proof how quick things can change. But um, congratulations, and uh, thanks, not, not just um, for taking your accident and turning it into a way for people to learn 
but for taking your accident and and inspiring people because um, there's people all around the world for many, many different reasons. Some of them are injuries, some of them is physical, some of it's mental, some of it's emotional. People have so much to overcome. And thank you for showing us all um, that it's possible. And congratulations on a great event. Um, so yeah, I just had to share that with you. And um, that's, that's that story. I just had to get that out there. Now, speaking of stories, this next guest has been to over 65 Grateful Dead concerts. An ice climber, a Bassmaster videographer, behind-the-scenes machine, friend of the show, all the way from Colorado, Jake, La Tenderness. That's what it stands for, The Tenderness. Jake La Tenderness. Tenderness? <laughs> it's Jake's take. Jake, last time I saw you, I was uh, sweating in Port Aransas, Texas, and um, it took me all of two minutes walking to my truck to realize that, yes, I do like sweating more than shivering. <laughs> Damn! How come the world's so small? Like, it seems so easy to get to it on a plane, but then you come home and you're like, yeah, this is just starting. It was it was humid. That's what hit yeah, me really when was. I got off the plane. It was like whack right in the face. Cause when I left my house in Colorado on Thursday morning, it was 30, 32 degree, 32 or 33 degrees when I left my house. And then I get to Port Aransas and it was 85 degrees. And I was like, and all day, like you woke up, it was 85 degrees. It just got sunnier exactly. as exactly. the day went on. That's uh for those, let's be more professional about what we're doing. We just got back from the Yamaha Bassmaster Redfish Cup Championship in Port Aransas, Texas. And and that part of the world, dude, like every time I go there, second trip there, but I'm always like, wow, this is, it's like a hidden gem of Texas. Like I, I've found myself several times saying like, since I got back from Florida, because that's literally, you feel like you're and not just Florida, but you feel like you're in the keys kind of. It, it reminds me of the panhandle of yeah. Florida um, or even maybe up around the outer banks of North Carolina. It's got that that coastal vacation feel to it. And I, I found myself, too, driving around from Corpus Christi to Fort, uh, Port Aransas and back. Like, why would if you lived in Texas, why would you ever go to Florida or Alabama to yeah. the beach when you've got all that right there? That's pretty cool. Not to mention the fact that there's it's all, you know, really oriented around fishing. You know, yeah. there's a lot of fish in there. So that's pretty cool. Pretty cool place. Yeah, it's it's like a beach vacation place, but don't get it wrong. Everybody's fishing, you know, like you drive down the beach, which is the coolest thing about there. You can literally drive on the beach for Miles and miles and miles. And you see boats, you know, fishing right there or guys with on their trucks set up like boats, basically with rod holders and everything fishing right there. And um, it's a, just a freaking really cool part of the world. Like I, I and the weird thing is, and it took me. I don't know if I realized it last time or this time, but like I kept thinking, I know this place from somewhere and I totally know it from beachfront bargain hunt <laughs> because <laughs> and as i drove around the beach and saw like the palms property i remembered like you know watching and being like welcome to cozy port aransas situated off the coast bob and 
Steve, or but not Bob and Steve, Bob and Shirley, maybe Bob and Steve, <laughs> have made their money in the tech industry and they're ready to settle down, but they don't want to blow the budget. And Port Aransas becomes, um, so yeah, everywhere I drove around, I had that commentator's voice in my head. I don't know why. It was just for me. The only thing that irritated me about that place was the you know the street legal golf carts and when you get behind two or three of them you can't pass them <laughs> no you, you just have to go 20 miles an hour that's it <laughs> as a guy who drove around one day in a street legal golf cart i don't give a shit what you think jake <laughs> they're awesome and, i mean there is also a drive-through we did not do it on live and i wish we did there is a drive-through daiquiri bar but they put a little piece of tape over the straw so you're allowed to oh, carry so it's it carry out nobody removes the tape i'm sure that's funny that you say that because I was sitting there thinking, the, no matter how irritated I am right now, because I'm trying to get to, I was actually trying to get to urgent care <laughs> quickly, <laughs> and Drama I had queen. these golf carts in front of me, and I'm going, these guys don't give a shit. They're on vacation right now. Yeah, yeah, and it's <laughs> and that, I would like, feel the same way. And it that's kind of the cool thing. You take the ferry across, and you do feel like it takes on like that whole. It's just it's just a cool cool vibe. Um, but yeah, the golf carts, I'm sure. And all I kept thinking is like, what is this place like when it's full? Like that goes oh. from a population of 3,500 to 100,000 people in peak season. It must just be, you know, side Insanity. by side and golf cart palooza. Pot Panama City, Florida. That's what it reminds <laughs> me of. Panama City Beach, Florida. <laughs> yes so we were there for the redfish cup which was a great event and every time i go to it i realize it's so cool that yamaha is and bass are pushing to bring that back because it means so much to the redfish world and as far as coverage dude i think i mean to me there was two things that stood out i mean there was parts where i was like yeah, i like bass tournaments better than this you know what i mean like at certain parts because a lot of drifts, not as pinpoint in some situations. You know what I mean? You're you're following mm -hmm. track lines. You're not quite as precise. But, dude, when they hook the fish, it's got it all over bad fi bass fishing. Like watching, you know, Zaldane and Rickard in that fish that was this close, which you were right there for. Dude, bass fishing needs uh, misses that whole like the three minute fight where you're you're lifting your trolling motor, your big motor, and screaming at each other, and it's 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 the wonderful part of red fishing. I mean, they went 360 degrees <laughs> around the boat. A ten pound, a ten and a quarter pound redfish. I mean, the fight that that thing put on, and 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 Rickard was using spinning gear, yeah. which I never. I, I wish I would have asked him why why they use why they choose to use spinning gear because i don't know the answer to that do you i think just because of the drag i mean they those think, things make zippy runs like i compared them to a smallmouth bass like it's almost like a shallow water smallmouth bass and then me and paul nick were talking and we even fine-tuned it it's like a smallmouth and a carp had a baby yeah, there you go <laughs> there was a love tryst <laughs> between a smallmouth bass and a carp which we will talk about a smallmouth bass that might have been part carp from lake erie in a little bit <laughs> But um, they make those quick runs. You know what I mean? And I, and I just, I, I mean, I, I think spinning makes sense, sense to me in that situation. I mean, I guess a baitcaster, maybe you'll be able to drive the hook home a little more. But I, are, are they line sensitive at all? I don't think so. I mean, Zaldane was throwing baitcasters. Yeah. You know, they're throwing the same baits, whether it was topwater or, 
a big swim bait or a big spoon or a small spoon or whatever it was, they were throwing the same baits, but Zaldane was throwing uh, bait casters 90% of the time. And Rickard was throwing spin casters a hundred percent of the time. So, hmm. and, and I think you're right. I think it is the drag, but Casting either way, distance. you know, what's that to, casting distance too? a lot of guys can fling it further on a spinning rod possibly i mean zaldane was you know freaking bomb casting swim baits like he normally does but he's from know, texas they won't let him back in if he uses spinning rod too much yeah, that's true that's true <laughs> that's true uh you know the, the interesting thing was the big the big ones when they get to the boat they always want to go under the boat so yeah. then the other the 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 guy without that's not on the fish is tending the trolling motor. He's lifting it up. He's the guy getting the net ready. And the other guy's going all the way around the boat, literally. And, and Rickard on that big 10 and a quarter pound that they had to turn loose. Cause it was like uh, three eighths to a half inch too long. Yeah. With an hour to go anyway. Oh. Um, you know, that fish that's for fish those that didn't around see the, boat it, twice. the fish has to be between 20 inches and 28 inches that's that's the slot why they had to let that fish go if it's outside of the slot if it's below it or above 20 and 28 you gotta let it go and their fish was literally 28 and at eight or a quarter it was literally like i mean i was like put it in the live one and put some ice in there let it get some shrinkage or something well what he said what he said what uh Ryan Rickert said was had it been an eighth of an inch over, he would have taken his chances because they, they tense up when they go to weigh in and they always lose at least an eighth of an wow. inch. So he would have taken, he would have taken the chances, but it was three eighths uh, to a half inch somewhere around there. And so he felt like, you know, he, he didn't want to risk it because they had already sewn up second place and they knew that just based on the weight that they had versus the weights that the other teams had before they left that morning. So he's like, man, I, you know, we need this fish to win, but we don't need this fish so bad that it would DQ us into the bottom of the barrel. Yeah. So, so would they have won with that fish? Have you done the uh, math? Uh, I like, didn't would they do have the, overtaken O'Connell and Adams? I didn't do the final uh wait but at that time for sure yeah on on bass track because they uh so uh o'connell o'connell's team had 16 10 on bass track for the day and i think okay. they were four pounds something ounces over and zaldane and rickert had i think i think 13 13 plus yeah change so had they caught that a 10 pound fish or even a nine and three even a nine and a half fish uh pound fish would have done it and the thing that i was thinking about that whole time was you know o'connell and them they went back to the freaking dock they went back to the right wharf. before that you hooked up it was like the best bass live ever because they're like we're going back to shore if it's we our win. time it's our time if we win and then like the very next segment, it's like, I've got this monster. It was perfect. It was almost like they fumbled the football before they crossed the goal line. You know what I mean? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you can't say, I mean, yeah, if that fish is that much shorter. That's shorter. what I mean. Yeah, but that's what I mean. I also feel like, dude, they weigh out. I mean, congratulations to them because 
Zaldane and Rickard to defend their title literally weighed in, I think, more weight than they predicted at the beginning to win the tournament. But O'Connell and Adams blew it away. Like, they had 16 pounds every single day, and these are two fish limits. And and they uh, Zaldane and Rickard weighed more fish this year. They had higher weight this year than they did last year. Wow. And, wow. and still came in second. So like you said, kudos to the, the winning team, they freaking hammered them and they caught, they were very consistent. They caught big, the, the right fish all three days. That was a cool tournament. And it does yeah. remind me of smallmouth fishing too, especially like in some of those places on St. Clair or up in, up around Traverse city where Zona and KVD fish Mitchell's Bay and St. Clair. You know, yeah, those sand flats. Yeah. It's the same thing. They're all and, and those fish are waiting. The redfish are, they, they, they hook up around those, 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 uh, sand holes in the grass. I mean, it was this, it's really the same thing throwing swim baits. I heard someone was throwing a chatterbait day one. Oh, a lot like, of people and, and people caught them on chatterbait last year too. That, um, uh, who was it? West Logan, I think threw a chatterbait quite a bit. And I think, Drew Cook did. I mean, it, it it's very, very similar. Like it, it's, uh, but I think they're even more sensitive. And as weird as that, like I, I really watched how the adjustments and the things that guys had made and smallmouth dude, they're pretty top on the food chain in the fisheries they're in. You know what I mean? Uh, yes, sure. I get it. A pike, a muskie could, could grab a smallmouth bass. Sure. But especially the bigger smallmouth bass. So they're literally just predators. They're not really worried about a lot. These fish are worried about everything. I mean, if you look what a redfish is on the food chain in Port Aransas, it is way, it's it's a There's freaking crappie. bull sharks, black tip yeah. sharks. There's all kinds of stuff out there that can eat you <laughs> yeah. if you expose yourself. So I just think they're so much more sensitive to sound to everything. Um, but yeah, it was a great event. And you kind of alluded to it. Um, you, I mean, all week you kept telling me we got to get the weigh in done on Saturday quick. Cause I got to see that <laughs> Tennessee game, but I was unaware of how committed you were to seeing that Tennessee game because <laughs> you went and got sick. I went and got strep throat on purpose so I could miss Saturday and watch the game. No, no. I, I, I actually thought that, man, I should just show up for work as sick as I am because I didn't want anyone to think that actually, but this, you know, the game, the kick, the game started at two 30 and, uh, weigh in started at two or check-in was at two forty-five, So it wasn't like I was going to miss a lot of the game anyway, you know? Yeah. I mean, you, you, yeah, I, we know you really had strep throat and it's funny because like I got it at an event a year or two ago and it looks good that the pattern continues that the moment that people realize you don't have COVID, they're like, good, you're fine. Come on back to work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or the first, but the, but even uh precursor to that is when, if you know, you're like, well, should I tell anyone that I'm sick right now before I go to the hospital? Cause everyone is going to jump on the gun and go, Oh, he's got COVID. Yeah. <laughs> and then all that's, of a sudden you're like, ah, stay away from me. Dude, that's why I think I always say COVID is the single most, and here I'm going to get real deep here, single most disruptive, um, separating, whatever the right adjective to it, it is the single most 
selfish thing that's ever like if you look at it divides people more than anything more than world wars i mean even oh. when the world was fighting germany the rest of the world came together and fought germany this is you can't help it if somebody comes up to you and says to you hey i've i've it's horrible news like i've i'm sick i've got a heart problem or something you know the first thing you think of is that person but if somebody comes up to you and says hey did you hear so and so might have covid like everybody thinks of themselves you know what i mean right away it's 100 um, it's so weird. anyways once we realized you you didn't kill us all we were yeah no i think yeah. everybody was concerned about you obviously and man like it, a champ it, you rallied quick well, you, you say that, and I would like to say thanks to everyone at the dock, West Logan, Polinick, everybody, you, everybody, Steve Wright, Bowman, everybody came up to me on day, on Sunday and said, are you okay? Are you feeling better? I'm glad you're back. I mean, the word spread very quickly, and I really, really, from a heartfelt uh, perspective, I really appreciate that from everyone. That was pretty cool. Dude, I told you, people it's important to miss care. a day or two once yeah. a decade, you know. You figure out <laughs> who your so friends really are. Like... <laughs> <laughs> oh, they were dirting you on Saturday morning, though. You should know. I'm only <laughs> that, that bastard, is, he just did that to watch the Tennessee-Georgia game. <laughs> now he's back because Tennessee lost. <laughs> no, nobody said that. Nobody said that. But I'm glad you're, uh, you were doing okay. It sucks to be sick on the road. It, you know uh, what I mean? It's just like... Uh, what do I do now? Like your hotel is bearable if you're only in there for a few hours. You know what I mean? Like, but if you're stuck in there and you got, you know, nobody to help you or anything, it kind of sucks. So thanks for being a trooper. <laughs> well, thank you, Dave. Did um, you have fun? I loved it. I loved that event. It was really fun. Yeah. But I had, it, I mean, they let me kind of for Bass Live, they let me go do a lot of the old stuff that I used to get to do before we had a set and everything, yeah, you know, like I went out and went to a sand co castle competition. I went and ripped around in a side-by-side -side through town. I, uh, a lot of just fun <laughs> stuff. I mean, I went to the Tarpon Inn several times because that's one of the coolest things ever. Like they have a Tarpon scales all over the wall in the lobby. Everybody that's ever caught a Tarpon there that, and that area, Port Aransas, here's a lesson for you. If you didn't tune in, it used to be called, tarpon texas up till 1910 because of the abundant tarpon in the area and they have all sorts of celebrities and notable people that have signed these but the most notable um fdr franklin roosevelt ex-president see even though i'm canadian i know these things um but it, it was pretty cool to see all that so yeah i had a lot of fun at that event i thought it was a really cool event i i um I hope we do it back there again. Like, I really hope it stays in Port Aransas for a while. I mean, it might have to move around, but I just feel like it is. It's such a cool location. Like you to duplicate that is so it's so different and so cool. Like the I mean, so, yeah, it was a good it was a good week. I think I think I asked Ryan, Ryan Rickard, you know, him, him being a professional redfish tournament angler that he is he does several different circuits and he's been yeah. all over the country fishing for redfish. And I asked him, we were out on the boat on Sunday as we were starting to, you know, during that midday lull, I said, what is considered to be the world's best? Like what is the epicenter? What is the world's best redfish location to fish? And he said, honestly, right here in Port Aransas, 
a lot of people would say Louisiana, parts of Louisiana um, is really the epicenter of, of it all. But it's really hard when when Port Aransas is on fire, it's hard to beat that area for red fishing, apparently. Yeah, I don't know, but I do now. So that's pretty cool. And I just mean, as an event, it just feels like we're doing something different. You know, visually, exactly. I heard from a lot of people and more people this year than last year. A lot, like a lot of people reached out to me from the bass world and said, man, I'm really enjoying following this. But it, part of the reason was because it, it's so different. Um, if you go to Venice, which I imagine is one of those redfish meccas, I know that yeah, it, it is. It is. Mm -hmm. And. But we've seen a lot of Venice, you know what I mean? Even in bass tournaments and stuff like mm -hmm. that. It, it um, Now, if, if we go to Venice, I, trust me, to the people of Venice, I'm happy to be there next year. So wherever yeah, it is. Cool. But I really yeah. like Port Aransas. It's a pretty cool thing. And um, it was a great week. It was a great week. Um, you got anything else more about that before I move on? That may or may uh, not have just belched in the microphone. I don't know how sensitive it is. I did not mean that if I did. Thank God we can't smell it. <laughs> we, uh, I, I would like to say one thing. You know, one of the, my curiosities as a coverage guy there was, you know, how these pro, uh, these Bassmaster Elite guys felt about being there, how they adjusted to what was going on, how they kind of had to play second field to the captain of the boat. They weren't, it wasn't there, yeah. you know, they wasn't in their control all of a sudden. And, you know, from what I saw, all the teams got along really well. Yeah. They, they, they figured out the, obviously we know those elite pro or professionals, and they knew where their position was and all of them would say either on stage or on live or whatever it was. I don't know anything about these fish. Like I'm, I'm at his mercy, you know, to learn more about these. And every time I go out or every time I make a cast, I learn something new. And I thought that was pretty cool that, you know, watching someone like Chris Zaldane, who has a lot of experience on the, on the elite trail, you know, asking questions to Ryan Rickard, uh, Rickard about, you know, what he's seeing, how do you know that's a redfish opposed to a mullet that's, yeah. that's waking out there or whatever it is. How do you know that? And so there was constant education going back and forth between the two. And I found that to be really, really cool, really, um, you know, refreshing, if you yeah. will, um, in a sense. And, and I, I enjoyed myself. I'm glad, kind of glad it wasn't, it's not a four day tournament. Three days is probably enough of that because yeah. it's the same thing over and over. But I had a really, really good time, and I would definitely do that again. Yeah, no, it's a great time. And and I think I said that on stage a few times. What stands out about that event is watching the two different pros from different worlds and how they complement each other and how they and I don't mean physically, I don't mean like verbal compliments. I mean, just compliment each other in the water like they end up learning from each other. And one thing that really stood out this year and I heard it a lot on stage, but I just saw it a lot. I think one thing stood out about the Elite Series guys and their work ethic. You, like in the way that you did in the redfish world, and and I get it, they see a lot of fish and stuff like that, but there's, I mean, you put a fish in the box and they'll wipe their hands and they'll see the sandwich and take a little while. Every time, like with the Elite guys, they're up there, they're firing until the last second. So it's just- I think everybody learns and I just think it's, it's cool to see something totally different and um, lots of cool things, but just, and so, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I mean interruption. Yep, yep. Hey, let's be polite. Let's you go ahead. No, no, <laughs> the, you go. 
the, the baits, even Ryan was throwing some of the uh, prototype swim baits that Zaldane had in his, in his box. Yeah. And they were throwing bass baits at these redfish. It was, it was, it was cool. It was so, yeah. So cool. And so familiar, unfamiliar yet familiar. Yeah, no, very cool. Other cool things in Bassmaster news is Larry Nixon coming back to the freaking elite series, which are coming to the elite series. He was, you know, on the previous top one fifties and everything. I mean, um, he is the general, he is, um, it's incredible to have him back on the Bassmaster elite series. And, uh, it's, it's pretty cool to see him get that opportunity. And, um, it's something you're looking forward to. I imagine Jake. It, it is. I've never met Larry Nixon. I've known about him my entire life growing up in on Kentucky Lake. And I really look forward. This is an opportunity. And I've heard this from several elite guys, even uh, away from the Redfish Cup, you know, text me and mention, man, can you believe this there? And they were like, I knew, I knew something was up when I saw him at Rayburn fishing, fishing in the open at Rayburn. Yeah. And, and so it's really, it's really cool to see them excited to be able to share a field uh, for an entire, at least one entire season with Larry Nixon on the Bassmaster Elite Tour. That's like having Richard Petty back in NASCAR, you know? Yeah, and and it, I mean, I mean, he's the dude from the beginning of the Bassmaster original show that fished the jumps by the pads. Look at the size of that bass. That's yeah. Larry Nixon. It. Yeah. Um, <laughs> At the Hall of Fame this year, I mean, I've every time I've ever seen Larry Nixon in my entire life, he's been nothing but really nice to me. Um, we've always, you know, and and haven't spent a ton of time together, but but every time I've ever seen him, he's always been great, very jovial. But we spent a lot of time together at the Bass Fishing Hall of Fame this year, and you know, it was at the after party. He called me over, and we spent you know 30, 40 minutes just talking, just one on one. And that conversation makes a lot more sense to me now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to everyone. <laughs> Why well, Larry Nixon want to talk How old to is he? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I've never introduced him. I know he's from B Branch, Arkansas. That's all I can tell you. Um, let, let Talk about something and I'll try to Google it. Tell me what you were about to say about Larry Nixon. I was just going to say that, I mean, when he fished that Sam Rayburn Open, everyone was like, like, is that the Larry Nixon, Larry Nixon? <laughs> it was like, yeah, that's him, boys. <laughs> what is he doing here? Why is he here? And there was a, there were a couple of people. I think Lee Livesey texted me first. I think he, he's, he guessed 72. it. 72. He guessed it first. He sent me a text. He goes, dude, here's my prediction. Larry Nixon is coming back to fish the elites, but he went in to fish the opens because he's going to take his legacy card into the elites, yep. but he wants to fish the open to legitimize it. Yeah. And, it, and that's what happened. And it, it was, I mean, there's so much floats around about that legends exemption. Like you have to, the opportunity has to be right. Number one, um, Rick clone requalified for the elite series this past year. So the two legends exemptions to the previous year were Rick Clun and David Fritz. Now, David Fritz is using a legends exemption and they they're giving two legends exemptions. And the other one went to Larry Nixon this time around. So, how I mean, cool I think it's it's awesome to have him back. I mean, how, how cool would it be for him and Clun to go down to the wire uh, on an oh event? My, oh. oh, it's some. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> 
it'd be awesome. It would be oh really, really awesome. But it's cool to have him back. Um, and another big dude coming back or making his fishing his way back is uh, current reigning and maybe not defending Red Crest champion, big fish, Bobby Lane. Um, one of my favorite dudes on the planet, honestly. Um, if you ever get the opportunity to drink a beer at somebody's boat and just talk, there is no more entertaining. You don't have to drink beer, but I like to. Um, there's no more entertaining dude out there. And Bobby Lane has made the commitment to fish the opens. There's a lot of rumors that there is another guy doing that. I don't know if it's true, but if it is true, um, big bass, Bobby Lane, big fish, Bobby Lane. There's another big bass dude that might be trying to come back. And I welcome all of them back to the elite series and wish them good luck in the opens. Cause it's going to be freaking awesome to watch again this year. My prediction is Bobby Lane's going to qualify after his, through his first year in the opens into the elites. And I, I'm excited to have Bobby Lane back every, like he's the most masculine dude in bass fishing, man. Like that dude's like, he's like, he's like the incredible Hulk to me. He swings a, you know, a big rod. And when he, when he sets the hook, you know it. And I have a story about Bobby Lane on Ross Barnett that I share with you really quickly. That will never, ever leave my memory and it'll never leave my body. We were at Ross Barnett. He was, he was, uh, uh, punching mats, really thick mats with like an ounce and a half or ounce and three quarter jig. And he set the hook on a bass and missed it. And the jig comes flying out. He's angled to his left. So he's, he's setting the hook from left to right. And I'm in the right back corner of the boat filming and his jig comes on. I could see it in my lens. I heard it coming. Like I heard it whistling like a bullet and it hit me. It hit me right here in the chest. It went through. I had a hoodie just like this on. It went through my hoodie, through my t-shirt and into the meat of my chest. And I hit the deck, dropped my camera. Bobby the, dropped you, his the, rod. The pain, not the actual object went through your material of no, the object went through my hoodie, through my t-shirt. How the hell into, can that eat? It's not a bullet. I'm telling you, it went, it went eye first and it came at me like a bullet. I'm telling you. And listen, he dropped his rod. He came running back there and he goes, dude, are you okay? And I was laying on the back deck of the boat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I got up and I looked down and I had blood on my hoodie. So I pulled my shirt and my hoodie up and there was the jig in. I, I pulled it out and, and pulled it out of my, uh, my hoodie through my hoodie, pulled my shirt up and went, Oh my God. And now I have a raised scar on my chest from where that jig hit me in the chest that day at Ross Barnett from Bobby Lane. That's my, and I'll, I'll, I'll take that to my grave. I'll have that forever. It's kind of a cool story. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a tattoo. <laughs> I've never, ever heard of a, it going through material and two levels of material. Like it went through, I came back to the boat. I came back to the camera trailer and I showed it to Wes and Carrie. I go, look at this because they saw it on live. Cause the, the, uh, the, uh, 
the jig looked like it was coming into the camera and just went under the camera, right? So when we got back, they asked about, I lifted my shirt up and it looked, I had a slice and I had an open wound, probably needed a stitch or two <laughs> in my chest. And Wes goes, dude, it looks like you got shot with a freaking rifle. And that's what it looked like. No kidding. That's a true wow. story. True story. <laughs> 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 dude i've never ever heard of that that is incredible it you guys got to start wearing bulletproof vests i mean a face mask bobby yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a story you would tell like a young camera guy like when bobby lane comes back to the elite series it sounds like the kind of thing that a like bully camera guy would tell like the oh last time i fished with bobby let me tell you how that worked out i still bear yeah. a scar let me <laughs> You think you think all we do is run cameras around here. <laughs> well, I know you get hit and stuff. I just have never heard. That's some serious little part of me still feels like you're lying, Jake, but I'm you've never lied you. to me in our entire life. I, I mean, so I, I, don't, I give I don't you my word. You I, I swear on my life that happened. <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> oh, uh, the one question I want to ask Bobby Lane is, is, and dude, this has been my, I don't want to insert myself in this. So I won't even say that, but, um, I want to ask Bobby Lane, how, how much watching Jason Christie win the classic <laughs> motivated this decision. Dude. Like it, it, I mean, it had, I mean, they watched him go and, and there was many people. I can't believe he's going back to the open. Same thing with Prosnick and same thing with Hackney and all of them, you know, Ike, but man, how smart do they look right now? And 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 I got to feel if you're Bobby Lane, you are living and you're like, man, that's I don't I just won the Red Crest. How many more these do I have to win before I stop looking at my brother's trophy and say, man, I want that. And then he watches Christy come over and make it happen. And think about this. If he were to come back and win the classic before anyone else comes back to try to win the classic. If he were to win the classic, he would be the only professional bass angler in the world to yeah. win the Red Crest Cup, which is their top mm -hmm. trophy. That's their big $300,000 trophy and the classic having both of those trophies on your on your trophy shelf or your mantle or whatever you put them in your house. That would be something to be proud of. That's like a Babe Ruth level. That's what Hackney's trying to do, right? I mean, it's um, and I heard Bobby explain it, and it can, this is not a slight, but it, I guess he won the world championship too when it was right. the, for just the TV show. So right. he would be the so first the, to have three titles. Yeah, and Hackney's world got title. all those, but the Bassmaster Classic as well. Um, it, it's and Hackney also has Angler of the Year, I believe, on both ends. So it, it's it's crazy. I mean, to see who will be the first one to to seal the deal on that. But I, I think it says a lot about Bobby Lane just coming back uh, to qualify. And, and I, uh, I have no doubt that he'll be back in the elite series and I can't wait to, I'm glad he's coming back. You know, I look forward to introducing him. I look forward to seeing him do well in terms, but I really just look forward to having a beer with him beside his boat <laughs> because those are some of my best Bobby Lane memories. And he shares stories with me that man, if I could just share a little of them, this podcast would get a lot more views. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs>
him and Chris are incredibly entertaining. Um, so anyways, Lake Erie's on fire. Not sure if you've heard. Um, I was there <laughs> the week before and thought it was a big deal that I caught a 712. Uh, me and my buddy Simon Frost, who has taught me everything I basically know about big water bass fishing, um, especially on Lake Erie. Me and him went out, shot a show together, 32 and a half pounds for our five biggest. And you're feeling like, and I, yeah, I don't think we talked, but me and Paul Nick had been messaging and stuff. And I'm like, it's this lake's ready to explode. Like right now there's so much going on and, and the weather conditions were perfect. And I was stuck in a freaking fog delay going to Port Aransas that morning. Well, it turns out said fog delay, bad luck for me. Good luck for them. Not that I would have been anywhere near where they were fishing because they caught it in at near Peely Island. But we have a brand new Canadian record smallmouth bass, 10.15. So it's not 10.15. Don't get confused. Just oh, over 10, 10 pounds. Okay, okay, okay. But kudos to them. What a freaking freak. But oh um, I was stuck in that fog delay saying, I just want to go to Erie. I can't believe. Like, I've never wanted to just because i mean you'll be able to catch them for the next month and a half it just won't be as comfortable as it was going to be for the next few days and the wind had laid down and whatever but man what a mutant fish a mutant mutant fish um and the crazy thing is jake i don't think it's and this is nuts because you look as long as the record lasted i feel like you'll see another maybe not this year but in the next few years it's like there's too many sevens being caught. Sevens used to be so rare. Now the amount, like almost every great lakes angler I know has caught a seven. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like the sevens become a five. And a eights and five nines. You're hearing more eights and nines you can call. I mean, you're, you're, there's no way you're wrong. You're totally right. It, it 10 pounders are coming, which yeah. is great for bass fishing. <laughs> yeah. Those poor buggers, though, like to catch it on Erie a few weeks after the idiots with the lead. Uh, every post that put, like, oh, I put a picture oh. up, and if you read through the, the amount of people making their super original, check it for lead. <laughs> it for lead da, da, yeah. da. <laughs> Ironically, it did get checked for that. By the way, the, just so you know, the um, um, the ministry, or I think it was Ohio um, that did it, but their fisheries, whatever it's called. Um, they did and and they voluntarily asked the guy who caught it, would you do this? And he said, Yeah, I'll voluntarily do this. So they x-rayed the fish and there was no lead weights, weights. in it or anything. And the crazy thing, or dude, look at that fish. It's, it's not even done. Like that fish, it is now, unfortunately. Sad story about it was they according to these guys, the Ohio, like they wanted to let the fish go. They did everything to let the fish go and they kept it alive in in the live well and then put it in an aerated cooler. But Ohio, um, I won't even say their name because I'm not even sure which one it is. Um, but, but they basically said, we got to keep the fish and they're going to do a bunch of medical examinations and stuff like that. But the other thing is that fish probably wasn't spawning that much anymore as, it, as old as it would be. Um, but kudos to them. Congratulations. I, I reached out to the guy. Um, he, he responded to me and, uh, right away, like responded right away, actually followed me beforehand. So I was like, yeah, I'll reach out to this guy and told him congratulations. It was the guy's son. Um, and, um, 
Then I asked them to uh, come on the podcast for 10 minutes and they didn't respond <laughs> for the next <laughs> really? three days. So screw you. Uh, <laughs> but congratulations. I mean, I wouldn't come on this podcast either, but <laughs> it was so quick. I mean, right away, like he answered me within 20 minutes, like of the original message. I'm like, oh, great. We'll get him on for 10 minutes. We'll talk with Jake. It'll be wonderful. They didn't answer. Left me on red. I feel like What's uh, up with that. Yeah. Yeah. So they okay. probably got bombarded with podcasts. Oh, I'm sure. Man. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. Um, and and so they should, and uh, it should be celebrated. But dude, like every record, more and more is coming out about it. The guy openly said he thought he had a a drum, a sheep's head on, like when he first hooked it. And he said for the first few like minute, he said I was reefing on it, hoping it would come off because his son was catching a bunch of fish. He was throwing a moving bait. His son was throwing a drop bait. They're very secretive. They're working on some pelagic work. That's all they'll tell the world. Um, <laughs> chasing a pelagic bass. Um, but they, so his son was catching them, and then he finally put down the moving bait that he was catching the week before, and he threw it on the first drop, and his son kind of bird-dogged it, said, that looks like a big one and forward-facing. So, again, if you hate forward-facing, Sorry. Um, I like 10 pounders. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So he, uh, he got it right away. Like, but he said it was so powerful. He said, I thought it was a drum. So he literally horsed it. And then when it got to the surface, they were like, dang. And, um, dang is right. Cause it's a double digit smallmouth bass and, um, the world records 11 pounds, 15 ounces from Dale hollow. And I think that, um, Give it time, man. That fish, give it another month. That fish doesn't get caught a month from now. That fish is, it's not 11.15, but it's probably closing in on 11. Yeah, I think, I mean, all over, even out here in Colorado, you know, yeah, we're catching five and six pound smallmouth in Idaho. They're catching eight, nine pounders, lots of seven pounders. Uh, we all know about the St. Lawrence River. They're going. Someone's going to catch. I, I remember. I remember being out there on Lake Ontario this year with Zaldane going, dude. There's got to be a ten pounder out here somewhere. Oh, got to be. Well, dude, didn't wasn't Mueller seven thirteen? Yeah, yeah, and that seven, was in the middle of the summer. Yeah, seven thirteen. So tell me how big that fish is. Um, right. Well, you're talking about what do you talk? So. Hey, that's probably almost a nine pound fish in the, in the fall. Right. You think so? You think so? I mean, they all, they don't all have the genetic that they balloon up, but they all get bigger. Like even the seven twelve that I caught the week before that whole bag, 32 and a half pounds. And none of those fish were blimpish. All those fish were thick. Like they were as thick at the bottom as they were at the top Their you know, their shoulders went right down, but none of them had the big blimp yet. So they're just right. starting like the water's warmer this year than it's been in a while. So I think that could, could help, you know, just think of the difference that that makes. If you get just a couple of weeks, if it warms up two weeks earlier than normal, and if it stays more importantly, if it stays warm for another Longer. two weeks, dude, that's two more weeks of active, <clears throat> like growing, not just feeding up, but actively, which is a huge percentage of their growth time. If you put it in. So it, it makes total sense to me, but, Congratulations to those guys. Um, what a fish. Yeah, what a fish. <laughs> what a Amazing. Fish. Amazing. Um, I haven't, I've never caught a 10 pound largemouth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I mean, it's true though. That 10 pound largemouth is, that's a the giant. number. You know what I mean? Like, that's did you giant. catch a 10 pounder? And 
Do it in smallmouths. It's the same reason that I think JC Kirk's record will get beaten. Like, I don't think it, you said that. Yeah. It, I don't think that's where, I mean, the, everything has to be right. That's an almost in some ways a harder record to make break. I mean, not because there's less, there's more hundred pound bags in Lake St. or St. Lawrence river than there is 10 pounders. So you can't say it's harder, but what I'm saying is with the, with the hundred pounds, you got to have four days of right weather. You literally just have to have that one giant fish snap and eat at the right time. You know what I mean? And it's it, um, that or I mean, like you guys caught a 32 pound bag on your own. I mean, you have in a tournament, you have three 20, 25 pound bags and then you land a 30 or 32 pound bag one day. And it's like, oh, and then everything gets shattered, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. It, we should not replace easy. But it's if not we, unachievable. Right. If we don't go back to St. Lawrence at some point, we should go back. We should go to Lake Erie soon. Oh, I've been begging for it, like, since I started working for Bass. But, I mean, they, I guess the problem is they, they feel like there's not a lot of places to go. Uh, you know, out of Buffalo, you're kind of right in it. But I do. there's a big, long river that we could use on a blow-off day um, that, you know, isn't Lake Erie, but it is – but hey, this fish came from Peely. So everybody go to Peely. Never mind <laughs> Buffalo. Go to Peely. It's where all the 10 pounders are. I hear that they're at least two pounds bigger if you go to uh, Peely Island area. So <laughs> head on over there. Um, <laughs> it's a great place to go fishing. Dude, I was so worried. Like there was initially, I was like, oh my God, everybody's going to go there. And then. And then I was like, when I found out it was Peely, I was like, I'm going to talk about that incessantly. So people go. <laughs> <laughs> no I, I mean dude that that fish is so rare i mean it's taken this long to get one so it it it's not you know it's it's i don't think that i'm i'm not belittling their catch at all when i say that it'll get broken again it just feels like it's i don't have any scientific proof but the fact that they're the ohio guys that are cutting this fish up and doing study they've already told them that they said it was mid to high teens People are thinking that fish is in its twenties. It's not, man. They look wow. at how small their mouths are. That one had a big mouth, but it's it did. It's a fifteen-year-old, sixteen-year-old fish, maybe seventeen, eighteen. But look at how small a three-pounder is on Lake Erie now. They're just like their max density. You know what I mean? Like they, their mouths are just tiny and they're just giant. So I think that, uh, and it's not just Lake Erie. It's Lake Ontario, Lake Erie, Malax. Uh, um. It goes on and on everywhere, I mean, everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. Um, Cayuga. I mean, Cayuga took the New York state record this year, which blows me away that, that a giant smallmouth eight, five, I think it was came from Cayuga, not from holy, one of the great lakes. Like holy that's cow. nuts. And that's, you holy want to see cow. how good a lake is. It had an eight, five <laughs> smallmouth this year. And what was it? Two years before the Derek Hudnall caught an eight pound largemouth during the tournament. I mean, right. uh, for an inland lake, um that's crazy smallmouth bass fishing and bass fishing in the north has never been better than it is right now wait till so. someone catches a 10 pound smallmouth live on oh. Bassmaster live i will um <laughs> defecate everybody will and ejaculate uh. all at once it'll be a mess i'm sorry <laughs> i used educated words to make it less dirty he did he did <laughs> I'm staring um, away from that one. <laughs> so you've been, you didn't just shoot the redfish deal. Um, you did two opens before that, correct? The final two opens yep, of? I filmed. 2022? Yep. 
film Tristan McCormick win Lake Hartwell Open, which was really cool. Tristan, <clears throat> Tristan hammer. is yeah, he's hammer. He he is focused. That that's what I would say. There's a lot of really good young fishermen, even at the high school and in the college level. He's obviously grad, graduated from college and he moved up into the opens and he fished, he fishes all of them. I think he missed one this year, which is one of the reasons why he wasn't able to qualify for the elites, which who knows if he would have or wouldn't have, but he missed one of the opens because he went to the St. Lawrence, I think after Oneida to fish the St. Lawrence river or fish a tournament there or something. Um, so he did miss one of the opens this year, but Tristan will be in my in my uh, my in my opinion he's going to be up in the elites really soon. He is a oh. very focused angler, and he's very good at it. Dude, he made last year's classic from the college deal, from and now bracket. he's making this year's classic from the opens. I mean, to mm-hmm. make the classic two years in a row from two different routes and not be in the elites yet is is crazy. He's incredible and uh, and a great dude. That like one of those young guys who has everything you know what i mean like his marketability his um fishing education his just everything he is he is i hate when people oh that guy's got the total package but definitely he is one of those anglers and he's you know look at how many of them just come like you look at him and cody huff and jacob fouts and the list goes on and on and on i shouldn't even start mentioning names because somebody's gonna say you left me out but (laughs) they're so much more prepared. Like, you know, in the past it was like, here's a rookie that's he's really good at cranking. Wait till we get to here. It's like, these guys are good at everything. So secure it. I mean, all these guys and, and the thing that stands out about all of them that are, that are at that level now, they're all, they all stay very calm, you know, even under pressure, they're always, they, they don't freak out and lose their, lose their, minds when you know they don't spin out and that's why they are where they are because i mean they have access to all the knowledge everything's on youtube everything's live scope now you know kids are good at video games they've adapted to this or that or whatever you want to say about it but at the end of the day you still got to keep your shit together and those guys do it really really well all yeah. of them do they're they're, yeah. they're insane i wonder <laughs> I how lo- much i love it do you think Jordan Lee has much to do with that? When you think about it, like pre Jordan Lee's success, like we had different guys who made it to the, to the classic and had their moment and fished the opens, but Jordan Lee makes it. And then just literally, you know, shows how quick it can happen. But I think like, it's a, I think the anglers are getting better number one, but I also think like Jordan Lee had to help a lot of them believe that that was real in their head. Like, Previous to that, people were like, yeah, you got to be around for four or five years, and then you start getting your opportunities. And the other thing is, I think the fact that, like, every media source, for the first time in the history of the sport, young anglers get more hype than older anglers, just because they're the best at what is dominating some tournaments right now. Um, So, yeah, I asked you a question, but then rambled on. But do you think Jordan Lee affected that? I think he did. He sparked the fire, but I think you could also go down into the, you know, high school. I mean, I've covered all the high it, school yeah. national championships for three years, college for three years. Now it's all of them. 
Like yeah. they're all good at what they're doing at that at the championship level, whether it's high school, the college bracket or the college national championship, they're all really, they know what they're doing. Can you tell a difference between them and the elites? Absolutely. You can tell, you can go to the open level, cover those guys, not to take anything away from them because they're still learning, but there is a, there is a gap, an unbridged gap between the open anglers and the elite anglers. Let's just make sure that we're clear on that, right? For the most, for 90% of them. But at the end of the day, the, the top college and high school kids nowadays, they're as good as, you know, top anglers were years ago, even on a yeah. pro level. I mean, they're very, very knowledgeable and know what they're doing. They control their boats very well. They know what, you know, all their equipment really well. I mean, it's, it's, it's really amazing. And it makes me feel really good about the future of bass fishing that it's not, it's not going anywhere. It's just going to get bigger. And when I covered the college national championship at Winyaw Bay this year, you know, we were in downtown Georgetown, South Carolina, uh, yeah, Georgetown, South Carolina. And where the stage was set up, the place was packed. Like yeah. I was, I was, I was doing live, you know, uh, social media feed for, with my phone because I was so shocked about how many people were there. It looked like hate Ashbury in 1969. I mean, there was, it was, there were people all the way back to the water from, from wow. where the stage setup was. It was, it was really cool and really amazing and, and, and fun to watch. Yeah. And you even think things like the combine that they do now, like, uh, you're having to perform in front of coaches and stuff like all of that stuff just mentally prepares you. And, um, Tristan McCormick is a freaking hammer hammer. Yeah. So tell me some behind the scenes stuff. You got anything from that event or are we just going to talk about how talented he is? You know, one of the things that did stand out about Tristan is, like I said, his focus. And a lot of times, you know, when I'm in the boat with an angler, let's say a, a, an elite pro, I might say, hey, Lee or hey, Brandon, I might just ask some random question about their family when it's yeah. slow or whatever it is. And I know the time is right where I can do that. I might say something to Tristan and and he wouldn't answer me and I'd go. I'd go Tristan and I'd ask him the question again and he'd look up and go, huh? What? He's, he's so focused. focused. Yeah. He's, he wow. didn't even like, there were times where he forgot I was even there. He was so focused on what he was doing. And I mean that wholeheartedly. I'm not exaggerating. He literally was so tuned, like tuned out of his surround, like the, the ambient area and focused on his microcosm. It is pretty cool. Yeah. And that's why I think Tristan, that's what separates Tristan from a lot of people. Yeah. All in. I mean, and it's weird because you talk to those young guys and like how focused they are when they're actually competing. It feels like it's a, it's like sports have levels and you see different, like, you know, I've used this example before in the past in MMA UFC used to see strikers could get very far, but then they, they'd match a wrestler and the wrestler would beat them just, and then, a wrestler might get beat by a submission expert. You know what I mean? There's always just, right. but you could be a specialist. And and now it just seems like then there became a time where people didn't train. Like when UFC started, they, there was a good dude who they trained wrestling and then they learned the other stuff or they were boxers and learned the other stuff or kickbox or whatever. 
now they just train everything and they're so well-rounded and that's what it feels like happening with the young anglers oh. um not just in the elite series but the young anglers that are you know the future of the sport you look at them in every single league they're all just a more polished more well-rounded version of their forefathers and you can see it between anglers okay so for example like you know i filmed I filmed Tristan at Lake Hartwell. He's he's live scoping spotted bass in deep water, right? Yeah. And he's thinking about where can I go upgrade five ounces because it's Lake Hartwell, right? And he goes and upgrades five or six ounces and ends up winning the tournament by a few ounces. Then, you know, a week or 10 days later, whatever it was, I go down to Sam Rayburn for uh, the final day coverage of the Sam Rayburn Open. Tristan's number, he's third on championship Saturday. He's in third place with a chance to win that tournament, fishing in a Texas reservoir full of big largemouth, right? Yeah. I mean, and that, and that, that, and so, and he's, who was it? I can't remember who was it. One of the, one of the elite pros that was fishing that event, maybe it was Brian New. I can't remember who it was, but someone was fishing close to us along a dam where Tristan was catching his largemouth, and the res- the mutual respect he was showing Tristan, just based on the fact that they were conversing back and forth. Hey man, what you got? You know, do you mind if I go up here? And they were they were sort of swapping leads on on their their move back and forth up and down the dam, and it was it was it was uh you know it was cool for me to see a, an elite pro giving Tristan that kind of respect, knowing he's, he's an angler at, at a very high level. Yeah. Um, you know, it's kind of neat to see that. It's you not just that, turn my nose up to a kid. You know what I mean? Do you think that, uh, is it cause of live or, but it feels like to me that there's more of that happening now than there used to be this is my spot. Get out of here. Like, I mean, and maybe it's just, you know, a good year. Everyone got along, but it does feel like it, you're out there covering the event. Do you feel like there's more of that or is there just as much of you pull into an area and you get big brothered every once in a while? There's just as much big brother getting. Oh, is there? <laughs> yeah. I was trying to make it all nice and rosy. I, I think, I think <sighs> that, I think that perhaps live has yeah. brought that, on because you have to represent you have to be professional you know all those things you can't blow a cork on on live but at the same time i think that transcends into your personality too because after so long of of thinking you have to be that way you become that and i think so i think there that has transcended things but i also you know know that you know when we're not we're not live that there's a lot of that other (laughs) a lot of that other stuff still going on yeah it does happen behind the scenes. I get that. Um, so Tristan won and you were with him. So that's your streak. I don't even know what your record is now, but it's good. I, I mean, it's really I good. Like, I'm pretty sure Zaldane and Rickard had a, would have won if it wasn't for your little strep throat drama situation. That was the day that that was the day they, they didn't, they weren't consistent. They caught 13 pounds that day. And I think they Freaking had almost Zach. 15. Yeah, Zach, <laughs> my strep throat. But I was, I think that would have been like seven wins this year uh, that I covered something wow. like that overall. Yeah. Including high school and that and college and, and the open and. Who'd and you cover at the events. other open? 
Oh, I don't think I covered another win at an open. I just think no, no. But who were you with Chris, at the? Oh, um, I covered Chris. Uh, I forget his last. I can't remember his name. He's from Wisconsin. You're gonna get in so much I trouble. Know, I know. I know. Who won it? Was that the one Combs won? No, that was the one. That was at Chesapeake Bay. Who won Chesapeake Bay? Combs won Rayburn. Yeah. I covered Tristan McCormick at Rayburn too. Uh, okay. So that's what I'm saying. Like the Rayburn event, those were the last two opens, right? Oh yeah. When yeah, was yeah, Chesapeake? Yeah. That was like two weeks before. Oh, the strep's Hartwell. getting into your brain. Oh, We're just dude, talking I've about the a... last two opens. Dude, you I did. went, I went from Chesapeake Bay strep to Montgomery, brain. Alabama, back up to <laughs> like, I was all over the place for that on that trip. I hear crazy. you. I hear you. Combs, uh, it was awesome to see him win and get into the freaking classic. Uh, ironically, guess who our guest is next week? Keith Combs. <laughs> what a great, I was, I was at, you know, obviously I root for the guy that I'm in the boat with, but when, when we really realized that Tristan wasn't going to win that event, I was rooting for Combs. I really, yeah. I love, I love Keith Combs. He really is. Um, He's a pretty incredible dude, and it was good to see him. He's been so close the last couple of years. You know, like previous to that, he was on cruise control, it seemed like. Nothing, you know, could rattle him always in the top 10 for Angler of the Year. It felt like for a number of years, but the last few years, I mean, he's finished just outside of the Classic. In some situations, the first person out of the Classic. So to get in the last spot in the Classic was kind of cool. Um and uh, I look forward to that conversation that I'll have with him. But uh, I had Combs uh, up on the upper Mississippi in our last event. Yeah. For two days. He was, I, I feel with... like he thought he was going to win that one. Like, I really like that's the vibe I got from him. Like, at the end of an event, you talk to different dudes, and sometimes you're like, they're like, yeah, no. Fifth was great. I had a good week. You know, if it wasn't for that fish on day three, I wouldn't have made it here or whatever. Um, but I felt like talking to Combs, he thought he was going to win that tournament. Yeah, I think he, I, I, I mean, he did. He had the spots. He, he was on the right fish. But I think, uh, I think he just kind of ran out of fish on the last day in one of his big fish spots. And there was, uh, uh, Brian Schmidt was stayed on one of his spots and he kept coming back to it to see, uh, to spot check it, to see if Schmidt had left and Schmidt never left. He stayed on that same exact spot the entire time. But that was one of those, one of those spots that Keith Combs had fished earlier in the tournament. So, you know, he was on it. He had a great tournament. I'm glad he finished where he did, but I'm really, really glad he qualified for the classic, uh, at that Rayburn open. Cause he deserves it. Yeah. And uh, keep in mind, I mean, he was in the mix, when Gussie won in Knoxville. That's true. Um, and that's where we're going for the classic. So that could set up well for, for Keith Combs. Um, we'll see how that what's your, all what's works. What's your prediction? So. Can we can we can we start that yet? No, dude, I'm horrible at classic predictions because <laughs> it's almost never the person you think. You know what I mean? Like last year, I mean like give credit, you called it right out from the beginning that it would be Christy and um I don't know. I haven't even started to think about it. I think to, to guess now is, is not giving the anglers and the fish enough credit, unless you have a sentimental favorite. You know what I mean? I just really sure. want to see somebody like the Christie get redemption, but that river 
The last time we were there, Gussie won. If you had asked anybody the day before that tournament, other than Seth Fighter, nobody would have picked Gussie as the winner in that event. It, but the way it's set up and the special area he found. So let's get closer and I'll pick somebody because why piss them off this early? I mean, you're really only going to make one person happy and they're not going to be that happy. They'll just sure be like, enough. oh, you put pressure on me. Yeah, <laughs> and then exactly. everyone else will be like, why didn't you? Pick me. It's the most no roller coaster. <laughs> I mean, it's not like anyone ever comes up and says, Hey, thanks for picking me, but they sure get pissed when you don't. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> I have something cool to share with you, Dave. I've been wanting okay. to do this All like, right. on every podcast so far, but we always have so much to talk about. Yeah. And since it's the off season, particularly right. now after the redfish cup Done. i have something i want to share with you so i have a collection i started this uh in 2020 i think where if i film someone win a tournament i would ask them for the winning bait or one yeah. of them and brandon cobb at lake fork when he won in uh, 2020 started it for me and that is the official jerk bait that he was using that caught uh his fish for four days on lake fork and he signed it for me very cool very cool okay but there's more i have let me see if i can i don't have that many but i'm starting to gain a, a, a nice collection this is the frog that lee livesey won chickamauga with yeah that is the frog look how beat up it is very beat up no signature on that one no, no signature on that one. I can get Lee's signature, but I do have. Wear, they wear off on that. That's the he problem because he I have painted the tiger stripes with a sharpie, so it's kind of a signature. Come on, really? Are those his paint strokes? He's yeah, those are those. Lee are, Livesey is surprisingly more artistic than I would have given him credit. Those for. are his sharpie paint stripes. Wow. Yeah. Um. This is John Cruz's winning jig at the St. John's River, the first event that we had this year in Florida. Very nice. Which is really cool. This, this, I, I, I really like this one. Um, and, and ironically, like all these jigs look so similar. <laughs> this is the winning jig that Caleb Kufal used at Lake Gunnersville. Very cool. Okay. Um, this one is you like a cut winning. it right off the line that's on there. You just like, no, I have them hanging. I have a, I have a, like a chandelier. I actually have the rod. Do you remember when Chris Zaldane caught that five pounder at Eufaula and he snapped the top of his rod off and yeah. he said, Oh, yeah. high stick, high stick penalty. He gave me that mega bass rod and I have that on my wall hanging on these really large thumbtacks that have long plastic, uh, push uh, pins on them and then i have all these all these baits hanging there from monofilament and i have gotcha. other baits like flies and and uh sailfish uh, uh teaser baits and stuff from around the world but this is a number five finish for jay yellis at st Clair st Clair years yeah. ago you remember that he was throwing yeah. that old school smallmouth bass fish catching smallmouth bass on a chatterbait in five feet of water that was pretty cool okay now to the big ones this is and i do have an autograph on this one this is lee livesey's um like 300 four. dd that he caught his 
eight three on his last cast at Lake Fork this year to win that tournament. Very cool. And this is one of the jigs that he used as well. One of the Texas rigs that he used as well to win at Lake Fork this year. And this is my prize position. Um, oh boy. Yeah. This one's really, really cool. Drum roll. What's that? Drum roll. This, is, drum this roll. is a drum roll. That is the winning jig that Jason Christie won the Bassmaster Classic at Lake Hartwell with this year. Very, very How cool. cool. Is that very cool? Very cool. Yeah. You know, I used to get anglers used to give me signed lures, but there's been this guy for like the last ten years that has <laughs> circumvented. I never knew who that son of a bitch was, but it turns out it's you. <laughs> no, no, those are very cool. I actually have in my bar downstairs. It's kind of a shadow box bar, and it's full of lures. Um, and some of them, and they're all like signed by somebody um some of them are some incredible anglers some of them are people that i'm just buddies with and end up fishing with and some of them you know it's just all sorts of cool different things um but yeah those are come with great memories and you've turned it into a a baby mobile that you can lay under and look yeah. up at it's what yeah. i'm envisioning that's that's kind of what it looks like yeah it's oh it's i have a, a raised desk uh where i have some editing i have like four different editing stations in my studio and that's one of the elevated desks uh where i sit at a bar stool and do some small edits on a on a small uh, uh macbook and they're they're hanging over the macbook there it's pretty cool i do have a little sample bottle um with water in it from uh from from when taku won the saint lawrence river uh his nico worms yeah or whatever he was using but man, they bloat it up and they look like these giant like <laughs> aliens. <laughs> so I didn't I didn't bother to bring those over, but I have those too. Matt Pangrak from Bass Talk Live, he is a cool thing that I've been trying to buy from him because um Jordan's it was I guess at the Knoxville Classic, Jordan's last classic that he competed in, or it might have been the last one that Jordan won regardless doesn't matter he scooped water out of his live well as he was pumping it out in the back he's like do you mind if i grab this water and he put it in a water bottle now he's made it in like a shadow box and everything which is kind of cool the water out of the live well no doubt. um and especially since jordan doesn't use a live well anymore uh, or much less than he used to um right. yeah like i think i told panger i would i started the bidding at like 700 dollars <laughs> because he was going to do it to raise money and it was like and i was like or maybe five it was and he was like okay you're the leading bidder when we go public with it well he's never gone public with it so i think he just wants to keep freaking water and that's there fine you go. that's fine it's like having a little piece of the turf when tennessee at a kneeling stadium when tennessee beat alabama <laughs> oh my gosh is that was um that was quite the quite the Soiree of things, but um, turns out Alabama is not that hard to beat. But looks at things. Oh, come on, come on, come on! <laughs> <laughs> They're still out. We started that trend. <laughs> I will say I want to correlate that to the Bassmaster Classic because I actually know Knoxville really well. I lived there for several years. I go back there all the time. I still go back to football games from time to time. Knoxville is my, you know, somewhat home to me, and. I believe that the elect 
the electricity in the atmosphere and in the air in the crowd at the Bassmaster Classic this year is going to be at a higher level because of what the University of Tennessee's athletic program is doing. The whole city's just in a more festive, upbeat, you know, bring it, we'll freaking support it kind of mode right now. So yeah. I think I think this classic is going to be freaking gargantuan. Yeah, I think so too. I think it'll beat the record that they previously set. Um, just because, especially for a lot of reasons, I think that everybody realized how incredible of a host city it was the last time. I mean, you can walk to the takeoff in the morning, everything's right there. It's also going to be the first classic that um, a lot of people that couldn't travel can travel now, as weird as that seems. Nope. But it's finally, you know what I mean? Like all the people that come from Europe, and there's a bunch of them, and all the Canadians that can come and, uh, yeah, it'll be, uh, it'll, it'll be cool. I think it's going to be giant. And I think it's, I mean, Knoxville is close to everyone almost. It seems like, you know what I mean? Like it's, oh, it's, yeah. it, it's close to people who live in Michigan, but it's also not that bad for people that live in Florida. If you live North in California, Carolina, everything's far, everything's North far. Carolina, I'm sorry. South Carolina, all the lakes around Chattanooga, all the way down the Tennessee river, like it's 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 actually very centralized from a bass fishing bass fishing cultural perspective. It's actually very well centralized um, where it needs to be. I want to say this too. Hopefully, I don't I don't I don't burst a bubble here, but have you heard about the entourage that's from Carl Jockamson's like fan base that's coming over from Australia? The Aussies. Um, well, I mean, the Aussies are a very supportive group. They're they're a lot like the Irish, little island full of crazy people that love to drink. So um, yeah, party. I mean, there's party. a guy, there's a guy that I've been in touch that I've been communicating with on Instagram. He told me right now there are 54 people slated to come over for the classic from Australia to watch Carl and just to see the hoopla. Yeah, I mean, how cool is that? Yeah, and I gotta 54 believe four people. And I bet you it's more than that by the time it's done. You know what I mean? And then exactly. you, you'll you have all the Australians to, that live in America that will embrace him. And it, it, I think it's going to be, I think, two huge pops that I think people don't realize how big of a pop we're going to get from Carl Jacobson at the Bassmaster Classic and his followers. But the other dude is Coop, who's coming to the Elite Series. I'm telling you. The Johnsons and Gussie have made the classic and they'll be in this classic and a lot of people come to support them. But Coop is just one of those weird dudes that everybody thinks they're his friend. Whether like they Grover, are, he's like Grover from Sesame street, man. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they, they just, he's because everyone's known him since he's such a little kid. You know what I mean? You watch him. So I think that, you know, it'll be, uh, it'll be really cool to see the surround the crowd that he brings. And, um, it's going to be a freaking huge classic. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be awesome. I'm so pumped. And you know, it's really just right around the corner too. I mean, we're in the off season, but there's really no off season anymore. We've got basically in November, three weeks in November, December, January. I mean, we're three months away from the classic really. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. It's, uh, it's coming. It's coming. And before that, the elite series, you know what I mean? Exactly. The, the kickoff for the chase to the angler too. of the year and everything starts again. Speaking of which, one of the cool things that I don't know if it got enough hype, but uh, there's some things that 
I mean, we both work for Bass and and we love Bass and, you know, Bass isn't perfect. No company is, but uh, we love a lot about Bass. And one of the things that I love about Bass was something they did with Angler of the Year and Rookie of the Year. Do you see those billboards that in Paul Nick's part of the world and, and Jason Kirk's part of the world, the anglers didn't even know that they were happening. They just started getting texts from people saying, you're on a billboard. And to me, that is so cool. Um, kudos to Bass on that. I don't know whose idea it was, um, but whoever pulled the trigger on that, that's freaking cool. And it goes beyond even like the problem is people will start to be like, oh, yeah, I get a billboard now. They always do that or something. I don't know if they always to me. It's just it's nobody's expecting it and for it to happen. It's just really cool. It happened. Didn't they do that for Hank Cherry? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. I think when he won so. the classic. And did they not do that for Jason Christie when he won the classic too down in Oklahoma? Maybe I don't know. I, I think they've I don't done know. it I mean, like four times this year. Two, uh, four times now. Two classics, and then the Angler of the Year and the Rookie of the Year. And I mean, even if that, I mean, say what you want, right, people? But even if that's, you know, nothing more than a feel-good situation, it's still like that would be like a huge part of the reward of winning something because you're that guy all of a sudden you're on a yeah. freaking, you're on a billboard, a yeah. bass master. Ba I mean, I've seen, we've seen, you know, advertisements like down at uh, Gunnersville or Chickamauga, you know, they have those, they have those billboards. Maybe the chamber of commerce does that or maybe bass does. I don't know, but that is such a Ray Scott thing to do. Is that not true? Yeah. But pro you're promoting the event in those situations. To me, right. there's just, I mean, this is literally special to nobody, but that person and their right. family, you know what I mean? And it's like, it's thank so you. cool. To, it's also so cool for these dudes live in different towns all around, you know, the world now. And it's cool for their town to really see the impact they're making because the truth is a lot of people from Rathermine hope probably don't know that Brandon Polnick's a two-time angler of the year. And if they do, they don't put it together. Yeah. He's a fishing guy. He does this, whatever, but to see that billboard in front of your home community, I think is, is pretty freaking cool. And um, I hope we keep doing that. Cause I mean, I, that's an investment. That's a, that's an investment, right? For bass to do that. I mean, I wonder how long they're leaving those up. I don't know. It was probably just a one day deal. Quick, get a picture. Once they post on social media, it'll be done. No, I don't know. Maybe a month, two months. 30 two minutes. Months. <laughs> we want to buy a billboard for 30 minutes. Yeah. We'll, we'll have this up for 30 minutes. You can pay for the rest of it if you want the rest of the contract. <laughs> we just it, totally flushed that whole concept down the door. No, no, I, I don't, I don't know yeah. the details, but I think it was a great thing and I'm sure it was up for a while and I'm sure it's still up. Um, is, yeah. Hey, did you say, speaking of which, and I have to address it while we're here. Did you watch last week's show with uh, Rut Daniels? I, I did not, but we talked about it. I haven't yet, but I'm going to, I know. I'm sorry, Dave. Hey, if you guys loved it, you're welcome. <laughs> if you did not like it, hey, you never know what you're going to get on this freaking show. You got to try it, right? And, and I think it was very different. But um, he's a bit different. <laughs> well, we all are. We all are. That's true. That's true. Everybody's different. And um, 
I can't believe I kept a straight face the whole time. Really, like I, I never rewatched these, but I rewatched that one because I just, you know, I'd heard some feedback from some people, and I just wanted to. Say, and I, I was actually shocked at how I committed. Like I was very serious for the majority <laughs> of it, um, when most of it was not serious. But it's good to know that my good buddy Jake tunes in. At least I was honest. <laughs> Said, hey, did you watch the Rut Daniels show? Uh, no, not yet, not yet, not yet. <laughs> I still have some catching up to do, actually. Well, you had a whole day Saturday. Why didn't you wake up? And <laughs> oh, dude, I was watching the Tennessee Georgia game. Remember? Oh yeah, <laughs> I felt like crap Saturday. I couldn't. Oh, even, I, all I could listen to was my head pounding. So what's next for you? We're we're off now. Like it, I mean. I'm I literally could, wearing pajamas yeah. on the bottom. If I was, I'm literally just so you know, I'm totally off. I've got pajamas <laughs> on. Um, that's how committed to being off I am right now. Go ahead. I, there's a chance I might be going back to Pakistan in January to shoot uh, a big game hunt. Um, yep. I do have, I've got some, some duck hunts um, lined up with some apparel companies to Mm -hmm. shoot some promo videos for um i'm 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 gonna be busier than probably i want to be this winter i'd really just like to take the whole winter off and spend it uh, all that time with my children to be honest with you i hear it yeah i i love spending time with my kids yeah yeah it's 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 valuable valuable time and it's uh and it goes away way too quick so enjoy them Enjoy I literally them. came back from Port Aransas and, and I know it was only f- five days and I do this all the time for, for some reason, all three of my kids had a growth spurt while I was gone. And I came back and I was like, why do I have two bean poles in the family all of a sudden, you know, like, <laughs> like it was kind of weird really. And it kind of made me sad. Like, man, I better spend, I, I better, I better truly, you know, arrange my schedule to make sure that I maximize my opportunities with my children, because like you said, it doesn't last long. It goes by so fast. And once it's gone, you can't ever get it back. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's special, special. And having you on this little show as often as we do is special, Jake. I I appreciate you always coming on here and um, thank you for having me. Hey, no, no problem. No problem. So you got, uh, Pakistan and other than that, nothing. Well, other than small gigs here and there, I may be shooting something from time to time for the Bash University. I, th- I think we do have to have one or two more interviews for our Bassmaster or Bass documentary series. We still got two people Very to line cool. up for this coming year and be looking up for that because the first episodes are start are, are i think they're working on them and they're saying that the they might start rolling out sometime in january 2023 so that's something i'm really 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 looking forward to very cool very cool yeah. a big part of that is bob cop yes so take it away bob cop just kidding we are back <laughs> Jake, I tried to, I mean, you told me you wanted to talk about something before we started and I tried to be subtle and you didn't. And now what are you doing next, Jake? I'm flying to Tennessee the day after tomorrow because my son Walker 
has uh, taken up boxing as a com- as a competitor or competing athlete in the USA Boxing Organization. And his first fight, he's been training for four months. His first fight is in Pikeville, Tennessee, this coming Saturday, November the 10th. And we're flying back to Tennessee Thursday to go set him up. His whole team's flying to Tennessee. But we're going to go stay with my sister and my mom's driving up from Florida. My niece is coming in. I've got friends coming in from West Tennessee to watch it. It's going to be cool. And I'm so excited. And my son, my son had his last sparring match last night in practice in preparation for his first fight. And we have that, uh, his coach and I evaluated, you know, where he, where he is with his boxing skills right now. And, uh, you know, we feel like he's ready to go and he's got it. He's got a challenge ahead of him. He's never had a fight in his life. He sparred a lot for his age, but he's never had a, a true uh, match against someone he's never fought before. And this kid's had like seven or eight fights and he's, he's pretty good. I've seen, I looked him up on Instagram. So he's, he's, you know, we'll see what happens. My son has got a really stiff jab and he's got a, he knocked a kid down yesterday in sparring match, literally eight years old. He knocked him to the canvas, not knocked him silly. He just knocked him down. And uh, he's got a good right hand, so we'll we'll see what happens. Wow, wow! He's like, how long has he been boxing for? Four months, and he's already four in months. a. That's how long. Seems when, quick when I, though to me. Like I would think it would be longer before your first fight. Yeah, when when I talked to his coach, his coach uh, uh, fought. He was a, um, a participant on the 1984 USA Olympic team. His name is Bobby Peralta. And he actually got disqualified because he his he originated from Nicaragua, and at that time, if you remember back in the eighties, we I like were how you say that. Say that again, Nicaragua. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how you say it, right? Uh, yeah. You no, know, most people just say Nicaragua, but when you, when you put a little flair behind Nicaragua. it, Nicaragua. Yeah. So he he's from Nicaragua, and he got disqualified <laughs> because. <laughs> Because he went down there to visit, and that was during the boycott of uh, the Jimmy Carter era into the early Ronald Reagan years, and they were forbidden to go to uh, go to that area in in Nicaragua because of the the contra the contra situation and all the the cocaine and the the contra weapons that were being traded down there. That was no man's land. So he went down there and got disqualified anyway. He had a 16-year professional career, so I, this guy's—he's a real deal. He knows he has a great gym, provides everything for free. He's doing it just like Cus D'Amato did for Muhammad Ali and and Mike Tyson and and all those boxers. He's doing it for the youth, and so we have these heart-to-heart conversations. And I asked him, you know, when do you think Walker would be ready? And he said, it'll be, it it usually takes me about four months to get a new kid ready for their first fight. And that's my goal is to get them into their first fight. And if they never fight again, at least they know here, this is his mantra or his ethos. If I can get a kid into the ring for the first time to fight in a competitive fight and he actually goes through with it, that kid most likely will have other successes in life because if you know you're going into a ring and you're going to get hit in the face 
you're going to, you have to fight someone in combat in a combat sport, then you should then be prepared to be able to have, you know, the guts to do anything because you know, you're going to get hit in the face. And I believe that as well. So that was one of the reasons why I got my son into boxing and lo and behold, did I know that he was just going to love it? Like I don't push him. I don't, I don't ask him if he wants to go to practice. He asked me, when are we going to go to practice again? And when we come home, if he doesn't have practice, I have a gym in my garage as well. Heavy bag and speed bag. And, uh, uh, of course you know, you do. yeah, all that stuff. And so when we get home, my son always wants to hit the mitts and the heavy bag when we're here. So I know he loves it. We'll see how he does. Oftentimes you lose your first fight, particularly when you fight someone uh, at a higher skill level. So I don't expect a lot other than the fact that he's going to build character. He might win. He's a great athlete. He he could he could beat this kid. I've seen him on Instagram fight. Um, so we'll see. We'll report back uh, on the next podcast we do. How's that? Yeah. No, I'm excited to see this. I'm excited. I did not know of your affinity for boxing until. Walker started training and now you're, I mean, I can't believe he's fighting already, but I mean, but if he makes it big, we can be like the first podcast that we talked about you kid. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, he watches, he watches fights on YouTube in his room at night. Like he studies it. It's weird. Wow. <laughs> he wow. studies Rubik's cubes and boxing. Those are two very, very different things. But I guess, I mean, if you but similar, sort does of. he does he analyze everything like the like is that his nature always like yeah he with the, if, I'm so impressed with what he did with the Rubik's cube. Like, the, I mean, he must look at other stuff like that. He he looks at everything like that. Like he does his homework in 15 minutes. When he brings it back from school graded, it's always like a hundred percent. Like he's, he's a very bright kid. I don't know. I don't know if he's really mine or not, but he's, Gosh. he's a very, he's definitely, a, if I can brag for a second, he's a very bright kid. Very, a very bright kid. And um, we'll yeah, see how this it. boxing thing goes. Yeah, we'll see. Are, are we done now? We or are. Is there anything, Thanks for letting me mention that. Hey, go get him Walker. We're, we're all cheering for you, everybody. Yes. How about everybody just give a thumbs up in the comments for Walker, and then that'll help this podcast. And Walker, it's a two for nothing, or two for one. Anyways, take it away, Bob Cop. Thanks for watching. Please like, comment, and subscribe. Because Bob Cobb of the Bassmasters told you to. You hear? <laughs>